You're listening to Live Wild Radio, the part-time adventure podcast. Join us as we explore how outdoor adventures build mind, body, and spirit. Day 783 of the, 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 the COVID <laughs> pandemic, or at least it feels like that. Uh, but anyway, this is Live Wild Radio. I'm Winston. I'm Catherine. And today we've got our first three-time guest. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> because this pandemic has canceled. Like we we had some plans for like a two-time guest with Cody. Yes. But our trip got canceled. Right. So uh, today we've got uh, Sarah Duma back again. Um, it's good to see her healthy. Yeah. But you're the only person I know who's actually had COVID nineteen. <laughs> I'm special. <And> so. <laughs> And she didn't even get it from she, dirt. She got it out of the way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now she can just go. She now, she's building her herd immunity. I, I'm just waiting for that antibody test to come out so I can wave that paper around at everyone. Well, I have yeah. a feeling, like, I, I really want to see the antibody tests as well. Because, like, late January, um, I had, you know, at the time, what I thought was the flu. But it put me on my ass. Right. Like brutal fevers and shakes and chills and sweating and you know kind of labored breathing a dry hacking cough that didn't have any phlegm Mm -hmm. not the usual yeah yeah like it was just i figured i got kicked in the teeth you know because we weren't hearing about covid here um so i'm very interested to get the antibody test just to see did i just have like a flu unlike any flu i've ever had before or am i invincible now yeah (laughs) And me too, because I hung out with you, and, and then when, although when he was sick, I'm like, just stay away. Yeah, like I <laughs> yeah, you know. Well, I'm st- I'm thinking about starting a secret speakeasy for people that have positive antibody tests and yeah. be like a private antibody club only. <laughs> yeah, you can like high five. Yeah. <laughs> people can hug. Oh my you gosh! Know? Like, basically, it, it's one of those things. It's kind of like a uh, a far more attractive leper colony. Right. It's like, oh, we've got it. So, you know, it is. It's like one of the strangest things, though, because um, I don't know if you guys run into this, but it's like when you uh, like a stranger comes towards you, like maybe you're walking down the street like we've been trained or I've been trained to the point now that it's like I have a force field or they've got a force field. And it's like, (laughs) you know, out around. Uh, if somebody's too close, you get sort of like a fuck you anxiety. <laughs> um, and it, it, and it's a thing where it's like, hey, I don't know if you're like unclean, <laughs> you know, and, and it, it is. It's one of those things where you just don't know who, uh, like since the stores reopened, the amount of people who come in um and because we've got like routing, so you're only supposed to go certain mm-hmm. directions and they just go the other way there. We've had people because we, we have hand sanitize, sanitizing stations at the door. Mm-hmm. So when you come in, you have to sanitize your hands. And we've had people like yelling about it. What? They're upset. They don't want to sanitize their hands. Yeah. yeah. Right. That's and weird. then and then when you're, uh, you know, serving a customer and you're trying to maintain social distance and they just keep coming closer to you and it's like you know you're walking backwards down the aisle it's like come on dude like you understand how this works right (laughs) 
you know, it's it's such a strange thing. Like, I think it's like I always wonder. Like, are you one of the people that doesn't even believe it exists, right? Mm-hmm. That it's just a conspiracy, um, which I th- find amusing because the same people who don't believe, like they they believe that COVID is just a government hoax to control us, also believe that five G wireless is controlling us. <laughs> so I'm not sure which. Uh, uh, you it know. sounds like this should be a whole other episode. <laughs> so. so, Sarah, how's it going? Um, I'm doing all right, you know, hanging out here in Kitchener-Waterloo <laughs> since I can't leave. You've done a bit since. Tell us about that. Yeah, so I went into Spain for the autumn. I was planning on just spending two weeks in Spain and going over to Turkey and hiking the Lycian Way, but there's some issue with um, the Syrian refugees along the the border and causing turmoil. So I decided just to stay in Spain. So I hiked a number of Camino routes, the Madrid, San Salvador, Primitivo, uh, Via Mariana to Finisterre, and the Invierno. And then I came home around Christmas and went to Dominican Republic on holiday because I need a holiday sometimes, (laughs) and it was a good deal. Uh, And then I went back to Spain for a couple of weeks and hiked in the south again. And then I flew from there to Patagonia, where I did a number of hikes in that area. And then I also was able to take a trip to Antarctica. That was really unexpected. And then it was time to go home because pandemic. Right. So when you started the El Camino, what time of the year was that? Was it in the autumn? Yeah. Yeah. So you were there for how long? Uh, At least more than two months before I came back. I started walking from Madrid and then added on some extra things. That's kind of a choose your own adventure. Yeah. Yeah. So when I was uh, walking on those other ones, most of the time I didn't see anybody else. And I was just staying by myself in the albergues and walking by myself all day. So with the less traveled... Do they still have like the support structure along them? Yes, uh, there's Camino associations in pretty much every province of Spain. And they've seen the success that the Camino Francis communities have had, and they're trying to kind of replicate it in their home communities. Mm. And so it's great when I get to an albergue, it's usually a disused house in the village that's totally empty. And they just throw some bunk beds in there and turn on the hot water. And they let the pilgrims stay there for a donation or a very small amount, like $7 Canadian a night oh okay so yeah i guess it's kind of like a a area revitalization kind of tourist thing yeah because a a lot of these small villages um the young people are moving into the cities and so that kind of rural lifestyle is not really thriving Mm -hmm. yeah because but it's sort of the same thing we run into over here like if you're not specifically a farmer um or it's the kind of town that has something that draws like you know, obviously a mountain town, mm-hmm. um, have, you know, it's tourism. Mm-hmm. Like you got to have something that draws. So, yeah. you know, if you're, if you're, uh, industry or whatever it was that kept people there is gone, then you got to create something new. What's the landscape in that area? Like, uh, when I started from Madrid, I, uh, crossed over some mountains there and it's actually like the second highest Camino in all of Spain, okay. even though it was just mm-hmm. one kind of hard day. It was old Roman road that I was following up the mountain, which was really neat because they had excavated and exposed some of those rocks. So it was alternating between being on dirt and then being on Roman stones. Wow. And so I crossed over. And then when I came down, 
Um, there's a lot of historical stuff to check out along the way, a lot of castles. And then it was really, really flat until I joined up with the Camino Francis. And then when I crossed over the Francis, I went into the Cadabrian mountain chain on the San Salvador, which was absolutely gorgeous, like beautiful vistas of people um, herding sheep and wild horses everywhere. Wonderful, wonderful. And that continued on the Primitivo, which is also very mountainous. So the Salvador and the Primitivo are considered like the two hardest, most mm. difficult Caminos. But uh, really, it's manageable for people that have just, I would say, a normal fitness level if they take their time and they go slowly in, in the hills. Do you have people living quite traditionally in those areas? Not like pioneers, but they're certainly living off the land. And sometimes, in some cases, they might not even have electricity. Like I've, I've been in those kind of homes in the north of Portugal, for example. Yeah, people using uh, donkeys to pull carts or um, horses in the fields, that kind of thing. Yeah, because I haven't been in Portugal for at least since 2003. So you just wonder how much development's happened as you go further north, because that's usually where it's more traditional in Porto area and Coimbra. So, yeah. Cool. So how was this Camino different from others that you've been on? Well, because I did a whole bunch of different Camino routes that took me through different landscapes. So it's hard to say because every Camino has its own kind of flavor because you have different kinds of cuisine. Um, you have different kinds of historical sites. Uh, when I was on the Invierno, I passed by the largest open air gold mine, Roman gold mine in the world. And I was able to go wow. through some of the tunnels and I had no idea. I didn't even know it existed, but it was just like a crazy uh, rock landscape that had been just busted and blown open by the Romans a thousand years ago. Oh, really? Completely exposed. There's no guardrails or anything. And you yeah, just, you just no, go. you can just go. Europe's yeah. like that. They don't care. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is kind of fun. It's like, that's cool. Yeah, because now with the Caminos, uh, I would expect a lot of them you could also do by bike, couldn't you? Oh, yeah. All, uh, pretty much all of them you could do. When there's things that are too hard for a bike to do, like the trail's too rough, there's always like an alternative for the bikes to get around. Oh, okay. Yeah, because uh, Catherine and I have been talking a lot about um, starting to do some bike packing, and, you know one of the things that you run into is finding those places where it's off-road, but it's bikeable, you know? Uh, that'd be kind of cool to be actually Camino, but by bike. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and they route the Camino as much as they can on the historical ancient paths that um, even predates Christianity. People mm -hmm. who lived in that area would be taking uh, livestock up and down the mountains through those paths. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah, so beautiful bridges and the castles. It's it, it was wonderful. It's wonderful every time I go to Spain. You know, well, and that's <laughs> the kind of thing that's neat with uh, with Europe is just so much more history than we have. Yeah, you know, we got way more space now. You know, obviously because North America is just so much bigger. But did you ever have time to research where you're going in terms of the history, and then you know, in advance, or do you just pick it up on? Can you pick or can you pick it up as you? Are there is a signage really good on some of these pet trails or there isn't so much signage but it's just kind of it's just kind of like a surprise and then usually there's a lot of wi-fi availability in the bars so then i can just go to like the wikipedia page for mm -hmm. a particular castle or 
environment. In one of the cities, I went to the like the Spanish archives and I didn't even know it existed. And they had um, all these displays and documents from royal documents from medieval times, uh, like signing when Columbus was going somewhere and all this stuff. And wow. I no idea it existed. Very cool. Yeah. And for listeners who aren't aware, they're not super technical terrain. No. You know, so so just about anybody. If you can walk, you can do them. Yeah. Um, on the Camino Francis, there's ways to make the Camino walking days shorter. If you're if you're someone who's just starting out and can only really manage 10 kilometers with a pack, you can do that. On some of the other routes, the distances are longer. It could be 40 kilometers in between villages when you're out in the countryside. But people that can't walk that distance, they'll make it work by making arrangements with a taxi company and finding a way. I realize usually if you're on a Camino... You're already planning to be in a, in a hostel, so you wouldn't have like a shelter with you. But as far as the rules go, um, you know, if you're, if you're out in the countryside, are you able to camp? While camping is frowned upon, I don't think it's legal in Spain. Oh, okay. But I have met uh, pilgrims, pellegrinos, who have asked landowners uh, where they can see in sight of where they want to camp is the homestead, if mm-hmm. it's okay for them to camp, and they seem to have no problems. So. Oh, okay. You know, because that's always, it's always, again, unless you're sort of like on a trail like the AT or a finding the places where you legally can camp you know when you're when you're doing things on foot and it seems to be an overall problem in europe just because it's such a dense Mm -hmm. area so they don't have as many places to camp period camping has uh come up a lot recently because of these covid times uh the spanish government recently released the rules for if you have an albergue so a pilgrim shelter what kind of protocols you need to have in place and so it's going to be very very tough so a lot of people now who never Mm. thought about camping are now thinking well can i just camp along the way Mm. yeah and then a lot of people are worried about that because then there's no uh, bathroom facilities. Is they, They're going to keep everything clean. Are they going to start fires? Are they going to leave trash? So I don't know what the future of the Camino will be after the pandemic's over. Yeah, it's going to be, because obviously it's a little more open than like a single track trail. Mm-hmm. So as you're out walking, social distancing wouldn't be that much of an issue. No. But that whole thing of you're all kind of crammed together yeah. When you get to town. There's some albergues that house 80 people in one room. Yeah. And oh, wow. everyone's yeah. using the bathroom facilities, yeah. cooking in the kitchens. Like, it's very cramped quarters. Um, so, it, on the one hand, it's manageable. On the other part, it isn't. You know, or... They may have to go to a permit system. Yeah. yeah I Who knows? I don't know what's... A reservation system. Going to yeah. happen. And when they can't operate at capacity. Yeah, because uh, last year, the, the about three three hundred and fifty thousand people checked in at the Pilgrim office in Santiago, and that's insane because there's a lot of people who didn't even bother to check in and get their certificate because the lineups were too long. Mm-hmm. And there's also a lot of people who don't terminate in Santiago; they're doing sections, yeah. different places. Yeah. So, yeah, like we're talking like three hundred fifty thousand in a year, plus of you know the people who just do didn't check in they didn't do part of it or whatever um when you compare something like that and it's a much shorter trail to something like the at where like six thousand people in a year 
mm-hmm. not not counting the the section hikers, um, it's a whole different scale, you know, because the AT is like, you know, four or five times as long as well. Um, so yeah, that's actually. And uh, next year, 2021, is a holy year. And if you look back in history, like the amount of Spanish pilgrims that that Camino drastically increased because you can get a special indulgent from indulgence from the Catholic Church. So that's a big motivation for the religious oh, wow. pilgrims. And so right now they're trying to, I think the bishop in Spain is trying to speak with the Pope about extending the holy year into 2022 to try and alleviate what's going to happen next year. Because there's all the people that canceled this year wanting to walk next year. So it might might be totally crazy in Spain. <laughs> yeah, like it, that's going to be an interesting thing for whether it's a through hiking trail, uh, a Camino, uh, you know, because the timing, a lot of people. Oh, yeah. Because uh, obviously when you're, when you're through hiking, you tend to start in March, regardless of which of the three trails you start, um, you know, in the, here in North America. If you're doing the Caminos, they've got like a spring and a fall season because summer's too hot to do it in. Yeah, there are people that work uh, that walk all year round, but definitely, I would say the, the busiest month is actually August because that's when a lot of Europeans have their holidays, and so they're getting like a big chunk, like six weeks off. That's mm. the perfect time to walk. Yeah. When you said that you were going to do the AT, were you going to do it? You were going to leave early March, like you were here um, for March, and then you were going to take off. That was the idea. Well, I was just I I had a plan that got foiled, but I was going to hike um, the first like a hundred miles of the AT the CDT and the PCT, mm-hmm. just waiting for um, summer to come and some snow to melt. And then I was going to fill in the missing pieces for my triple crown. Gotcha. But I thought it'd be great to start out on those three trails because then I have a connection to that class of hikers. Mm-hmm. And then I was also hoping to try and go to all three of those trail days. Right. So, but yeah. nope. Yeah, that's so, all. You move more than most people want to get out of here. So what, what kind of conniving ideas have you got in mind? I saw something about, even if it's in I, yeah. Canada or, you know, what, what, what yeah. Well, the, all the things I've wanted to do, I have to keep changing because the rules are a lot stricter than I had anticipated, especially for intra-Canada uh, travel. So I had really hoped to do the Great Divide Trail, which would take about two months starting at the American border and going up the Continental Divide uh, through the Rocky Mountains. Unfortunately, well, I, I I guess it's not unfortunate, it's just the way it is. The trail crisscrosses between BC and Alberta. Mm. And so BC says, uh, unless you're a BC resident, you're not allowed to camp. And then Alberta says, unless you're an Alberta resident, you're not allowed to camp. So I had a plan that I was going to uh, rent a room in Alberta for the summer and then kind of be an Alberta resident so I could do the trail. But then BC also came out with the same regulation. So it's kind of like, well, not happening anymore. Mm. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, I know. Like there, like a lot of provinces for a bit, or maybe they still are. Um, didn't want anybody from out of province to come. I heard in Alberta, or sorry, in BC, people are slashing Albertans' license plates if they're coming over and parking at the BC parks. Because I guess the cases are higher in Alberta, and gotcha. the BC people really don't want them coming through. Right. <laughs> yeah. 
so much for canadians us being nice (laughs) (laughs) oh no (laughs) i don't know this uh, this pandemic has really divided people it's kind of like drinking almost it amplifies people's personality (laughs) so if somebody inherently is like a dick they're more of a dick you know if somebody's like kind and wants to give back then they'll they'll do even more right because they sort of see a demand like i think that's sort of what we're seeing is like the the douchebags who sort of yeah. kept it under control um, are getting almost like the regular regulator taken off, um, and and you're you're sort of seeing these like weird manifestations of people's fears and bad behavior and because it's such a strange and you see this a little bit excuse me a little bit more in the states but we've had protests you know you can't shut us down and it's like. And then two weeks later, you find out a bunch of the people at the protest got sick. Mm -hmm. It's like, you you do understand how this works, people. (laughs) Like, you know, um, and that actually would probably make a good segue into, you know, we'll get back to, you know, going down to Arctic and the Andes. But um, after you got home, uh, was it Antarctica you got home from? Um, Argentina. Argentina. So... You get home and then, you know, because when, when did you come home? Uh, the first week of March. Okay. And then when did you get sick? In April. Yeah. So it, we can't blame it on foreigners. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> or a plane or anything like that. Yeah. yeah. Nothing. You know, yeah. so you made it back here. You, you had two weeks of you were fine. And then somewhere out in the world going grocery shopping or whatever. Um, you came down with COVID. Yes. Uh, we saw your social media posts. What was that like? Well, have you guys ever had the flu or pneumonia? Yes. It's like that, but three times worse. Wow. Uh, it's different for everyone, but that's how it felt like for me. Like my fever was over uh, 40, oh no, 104, sorry, uh, consistently. And I was taking Tylenol, but nothing was like alleviating my headache. I was just laying down in bed doing this for hours and rubbing my temples. Wow. It was the only thing that could kind of help with that headache. Yeah. And meanwhile, your husband, he can't... Like uh, Early on, did you have any idea it was COVID or... Mm, uh, well, you know, you, you get sick, you, get you sick, always kind of suspect it. Yeah. yeah. So I called my doctor... And then they did the phone consultation and they referred me to the COVID assessment clinic. And then it took about a day for the COVID assessment clinic to call me in. And because of my history of pulmonary embolism and blood clots, they sent me to the hospital because pulmonary embolism symptoms are, are somewhat similar to COVID-19 symptoms. So they, they have to rule out there's nothing wrong in that regard. So I had um, different tests done there and it was confirmed on my CAT scan. I had that ground glass kind of COVID pattern in my lungs that media has been talking about. So I, I had no idea I had pneumonia. Yeah. Yeah. And so that, is that the scariest thing that you've ever had health-wise? Or? No, because I, mean, I, I didn't, I felt sick, but I didn't feel like I was, I was dying. Gotcha. I just felt like, okay, like a truck hit me, but I was going to get better. Gotcha. So the, the doctor said, yeah, we, I don't think we need to keep you in hospital. Just yeah. please come immediately back if right. there's a problem. And I live like a seven minute drive to the hospital. So I felt pretty safe about going yeah. home to recover. How long did it take you to start to break the fever and start to feel better? I had a, 
elevated fever for about a week. It was quite a while. And I lost my sense of taste, which was fine because I wasn't hungry. I could I could drink some juice and that was about it. And that was even me forcing the juice down. And then slowly, then my appetite started to come back and my husband would make dinner and I would have two bites and then he'd make lunch the next day and I'd have three bites. So it, it, it took a while. I was just really happy about lying in bed. Mm-hmm. And being in Canada. Yeah, and being in Canada. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, that's where I, what I thought. I mean, with all your travels, I was like thinking, shit, like what if something happens to her and she's somewhere else and, you know, and wow. Now you have your superhero immunity. Yeah, so if travel does open up in the future and Canada does approve the antibody tests, then I can use that to get into certain countries mm-hmm. coming down the line. Where would you want to go? Well, there's only uh, select countries that are opening up right now. Mm -hmm. So I really have to just wait and see what's available. I do have a flight that I had booked before the pandemic started to um, London, England on September 21st. And then because my plan was, well, I'll get to London and then I'll fly somewhere else. And that's still the plan. Yeah. So somewhere in Europe or Asia, I'll hike in the fall. Nice. Nice. Yeah, I was just watching a video about it. Uh, another place. I, have you ever been to Morocco? Yes, I have. Oh, okay. Because like, like going through the Atlas Mountains looked really cool. I haven't been to the Atlas Mountains. How isn't that sketchy with uh, terrorism? It it's. I wouldn't want to go there now. It, at least. It's not. It's not a very good place for a solo female traveler. Mm. That's the only caveat. You can't really do anything independently. You yeah. really need to go in the guided sense and that sucks yes it sucks because i i had thought about walking through the atlas mountains and then crossing over to gibraltar and then hiking up through spain Mm -hmm. yeah because it's always that thing of like when you're uh especially when you've done as much as you have it's like okay well what's a combination i can put together that's a little bit different right it's like oh and you know if i link this one to that one and then i go over here and then uh now obviously you've done a ton in spain Mm -hmm. um do many of the other European countries, because um, I know there's obviously the Camino France starts in France, but um, do any of the other countries have the same kind of Camino culture? Um, the 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 pilgrim route that goes to Rome does have pilgrim accommodations and it's set up in the same way. I haven't done that one, but there's that. And then there are also uh, Camino routes that start from Poland or, you know, uh, Denmark, wherever, but I don't think they really have the accommodations. So a lot of people tent mm-hmm. when they start that far away. Oh, okay. And they're allowed to. Well, I don't or, know if they're allowed or, to. Or they, it, just they just do. make it worth. They're, yeah. they're self-camping or they're asking permission of landowners. Yeah. Because I did have the idea for 2021 that I wanted to cross all of Europe. I wanted to start in Istanbul and then end in Spain and walk straight across. Go from Asia to Europe. Yeah, but uh, Canadians can only spend three months in the EU in a six-month period. Really? Yes. So, and I was looking at ways of getting around that. But if I start in Istanbul, that's fine. But are you <laughs> well, No, it, the clock doesn't reset if you leave and come back. 
Uh, so I was going to go through Bulgaria and Croatia and these countries. And then when I hit Italy, I get into the EU and then I'd have to hurry up. Now, uh, Croatia and uh, Bulgaria are looking to join the EU. And so that's why I'm like, oh boy, I better do this trip before they join. and Because <laughs> otherwise I won't be able to do it as a continuous footpath. But I did discover, because now I want to go the other way. I want to start at like the boot in Italy and go all the way up to the top of Norway. And Canada has a special agreement with the Scandinavian countries that predates the EU, where even if you spend three months in the EU, if when you arrive in Denmark or another Scandinavian country, if you stay in the Scandinavian countries, you get another three months. Oh, wonderful. There's so much to see there. Wow. Yeah, so Have you been there at all? I just been to Iceland. Gotcha. Okay. So, but I I thought that was wonderful. Like it's just like this old law that no one's ever revised. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I confirmed it with the Denmark embassy, so it is true. You should offer this as a service to others. <laughs> <laughs> if there's a loophole, Sarah knows it. <laughs> well, you know, but that but that's sort of one of the the interesting things, though, because. Um, most people never travel as much as you do, right? Like any one of your trips are the kind of lifetime trips for people. Mm-hmm. Um, and that really is kind of one of those interesting resources of, you know, say doing a bunch of the different Caminos. Um, you actually can give a rundown of them, of, you know, I'd recommend this one over this one mm-hmm. and this one you've got your long stretches this one everything's closer together you know because I think that's sort of one of the hardest parts for a lot of people if they haven't done um, if you haven't done a bunch of stuff you're not in a position to be comfortable just going ah, I'll figure it out right um, so so having that kind of resource for people it's a you lot know. of work to put together, but um, especially with the Camino, because people think, okay, I have to do the Camino Francis because that's the Camino. And then they're the type of people that don't like a lot of people around and mm. they absolutely hate it because depending on the time you go. You it, mean the communities don't like a lot of people? No, no the, people the, the hikers. The pilgrims. Because okay. sometimes, you know, there there's like a hundred people in a day that oh, you sure. have to pass. Yeah. And they didn't know that, oh, in the south of Spain, you can walk a Camino and see no one except the local people mm-hmm. and the people who live in the villages. And they, they prefer that kind of quiet solitude for, for a vacation or pilgrimage or journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I think that's one of the, the biggest things for a lot of people right is is you know where do you get the information right because obviously the Camino Francis there's tons of like there's guidebooks and, yes uh, guided services bag transfer uh, yeah like it's it, it's kind of the Disneyland of Caminos um, <laughs> but there's all in a sense because there's so many people doing it and there's so much support it almost takes away from the um the authentic experience yeah like the right? the self-starter you know yeah. it's it's a tourist attraction mm-hmm. whereas any of the ones that get you they still have um you know accommodations and things along the way mm-hmm. but that are off the beaten track or or just less traveled uh kind of give you a much more of an adventurous feel yeah, because there's uh, albergues that I went to um, on the Invierno. I went to this one albergue that was supposed to be open. It was locked. It was dark. 
And I thought, what am I going to do? And I thought, I'm going to look for a key. And I happened <laughs> to find a key no way. hidden on a windowsill. Yeah. And so I let myself in into this place, this beautiful building. Me and myself at home. There's no heat on. That's fine. I have a warm sleeping bag. And I looked in the book and no one had been there in over two weeks. And so I just signed myself in, cleaned up after myself, and then left my donation in the book and locked up the next morning. When you go back to the Disneyland of El Caminos, is the trail truly that? Like, it's a little bit too commercial, do you find, versus these other the other ones? Okay, there's some parts on the Camino where there's vending machines that have been put out with extension cords from people's homes. When I was on the Camino Francis for two days, I remember there was this little kind of place you can sit down and there's a whole bunch of vending machines and in the vending machine was blank credentials. So credential is like your pilgrim passport and you get it stamped every night where you stay. And I thought it was so funny that it was in the vending machine. Now, it could have been for people, they had too many stamps and they're running out of place. But generally, when people start the Camino, they get the the, uh, credential book from from an albergue or from a church. I just thought, okay, now it's automatic from a vending machine. And someone is making a profit selling these from a vending machine. Gotcha. At least it's not like Japan and you're selling panties, right? Like, you know, <laughs> keep it in perspective. You know, at least it, at least it makes a little bit of sense. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if you guys know, but I had a little bit of trouble. Uh, yes. Talk about that. That was scary. So when I was on the Camino San Salvador, um, I, I was doing my walking day. It wasn't in the countryside, really. It was a lot of walking beside a river. Mm-hmm. And so along the river, there's lots of villages just because that's where they spread it out for industry and economic sense. So there's all lots of people I'd seen all day walking their dogs, biking, whatever. It's, it was a pretty easy, flat day. And to make a long story short, a man stalked me on motorbike that day and assaulted me in a way and I had I was fearful for my life and I ran away from him and uh, I found help and got the police involved and I went to court the next day and he was convicted of sexual abuse and sentenced to 11 months in prison. Wow. Was that his first um, offense? No, he had been convicted of rape in his youth. Wow. Good on the, the, the police, eh? Because I think you said in your videos where we heard it. Because I don't think we've talked since then. No, no. But yeah, so it was on the video. It was, um, you, you had knocked on, uh, it just so happened that you knocked on a policeman officer's door. Yeah, because I was running away from this man. And actually, as I was running away, I kept filming him. Yeah, yeah. And and if I didn't have those videos, I, I don't think I, a conviction would have been had right, by right. the court. So I'm glad, you know, uh, I'm, running, I'm some... running away, but I'm thinking, okay, uh, I need to make sure this man gets into trouble. Yeah, yeah. And so um, it was like a windy road and there's some houses like quite far apart on this road. There's no sidewalk or traffic really. And I saw this one house in the distance that had smoke coming from the chimney and I thought somebody must be home if the fireplace is on. Oh my God. So I ran up to the house and started yelling and man came out and he showed me his ID that he was a Garda Seville. Yeah. So like a police officer. officer. Yeah. Right. 
Thank God. When I, the thing, because, you know, following <laughs> the story when it happened, like when, you know, you were, you were talking about it, what kind of blew me away is the fact that, um, uh, obviously great luck that the first person you ran into was a cop, but what kind of, what kind of legal system has you in court the next day? Yeah. Not for an arraignment, but like, yeah, it was, it's not something usual. They knew I was a pilgrim on the Camino de Santiago and they're, they want to protect the Camino walkers because Mm. it's a source of, um, economic value and also pride to Spain. So they want to make sure everyone's safe and secure. Mm -hmm. So if something bad happens, they wanted to send a message that it won't be tolerated. Yeah, that's actually, like, it really just kind of blew me away, like, how... uh, How well they handled it. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. swiftly. That's scary, you know, you're a solo traveler, and you've had all of these adventures, and this is probably the scariest thing that's ever happened to you in that regard, eh? Yeah, it was was two in the afternoon on a on a drizzly day like it was just like it felt very odd to me yeah yeah you'd expect like a back street in a big city or you know that you know going down an alley or you know not the kind of thing you'd expect to sort of out in the countryside yeah and um the Garda Seville they have like a, they have an app now I don't know if it's just for the Camino travelers or all tourists in Spain, but if you're in trouble, you can connect with someone through the app who speaks English and they make sure that you're taken care of. Oh, wow. That's really good. You know, especially with the technology now. And and, Why not? Yeah. uh, Not to say that you wouldn't want to look after your own citizens as well, but at least they sort of know how things, everything works. Um, You know, because unless you've sort of done some research ahead of time, like it, it's probably not nine one one over there, <laughs> you know, uh, and that whole language barrier. Uh, so having having something set up so that you can, uh, as a tourist, you know, if something does happen, have a way to to contact the authorities and and streamline. It's funny because when I was living in Belgium, it was years ago, ninety three, ninety four. I know that incidents like rape or. Street violence was very, very theft. Those were all very common, um, but not murder. Do you know what I mean? Like it yeah. was more of the the minor. I wouldn't say they're minor offenses, but not life threatening, right? And um, whereas in Canada or, or in the U.S., it'd be like the opposite, you know. And so I wonder if it's still like that today. And and that that's I don't know. I always feel a little bit more insecure in Europe traveling alone. Um, because, or at least at certain times of the day or whatever, right? When you're, I remember once I was in the North part of Belgium and we had these two big tall guys, or I guess they were skinheads and they were just stalking us, me and my friend. It was the scariest thing that day. It was a Sunday. We went to see a movie and they were constantly like following us everywhere. And then just the, the, the amount of fear we had, we were in this mall trying to get away from, they were clearly chasing us, like completely stalking us. And um, we're in this empty mall, and then we were cornered, right? And we had to, like, pass them. But we ran, and I think we went into a McDonald's. <laughs> Thank God for yeah. McDonald's. But it was so weird. They heard us speaking English, you know? And I, all of a sudden, it's like you're a target. It was really weird. Yeah. Well, definitely since this happened, I'm, I'm more wary when I'm out walking. Any, not just Spain, but anywhere else. Yeah. Um, the, uh, a little later in Spain, uh, there was a van that was following me, 
but I had learned my lesson from the first time and I thought I'm going to start recording this van right away. Yeah, yeah. And I rem- the van had stopped and was waiting for me, saw that I had my camera out and sped away. Interesting. Yeah, because I think that's like really good advice because uh, <laughs> they don't know whether you're streaming it or not. To mm-hmm. somebody else. Yeah, even if you're like too nervous to get it going, <laughs> you can't get yeah. it. You know, no, just, no, but 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 that, showing it that you are whether because obviously if they're gonna grab you if you're recording it and it's just on your phone, well yeah. then they got the phone, right? But what the they don't know whether you're streaming it to somebody else. Oh so yeah. Now totally. all of a sudden them I grabbing mean, you is all on tape to somebody else. Exactly. You know, so it, it'd be interesting too. Like uh, that could be a really good app, actually. You know, from a safety perspective. Yeah, that's what yeah. I mean. But like I Garmin, anything like, Garmin or anybody else. Like if add. anything like that exists. So, no, not that I, well. Well, but that, that's research. just it. It's like, you know, <clears throat> because I will admit, you know, anybody uh, as a stocky white male, um, these are all issues I just, like I, I walk places I shouldn't walk totally fearlessly, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I've, I've never gotten in a altercation that I wasn't looking for, <laughs> um, you know, and that's been a long time, you know, as an adult, I don't get in fights, but you know, when I was a young guy, um, so, so it, it's not something I've ever looked into, but it would surprise me with the amount of travel that goes on <laughs> that, that somebody's not doing, um, some sort of safety app, mm-hmm. right? Anytime we go on adventures, we're playing the odds, right? Um, the odds are low, anything's going to happen. But if you do it enough, then like if, if it's, let's say, a one in a hundred chance and you've done a hundred trips, well, the odds are one of them, you're going to run into something, whatever it is. Like, you know, um, like basically when you've been out on like wilderness trails, mm-hmm. how often do you see bears? Depending on the area, sometimes could be daily or every other day. You know. Yeah. Um, you know, when it, it's one of those things where, uh, like, basically, say, say, something like like my last trip on the AT, we did all of Maine and New Hampshire and didn't see a single bear. Right? You know, mm-hmm. whereas I've had other times where I've had run-ins with bears. Right? So it's kind of just an odds game. And I think, you know, you're in that kind of unique situation where any one of your trips would be, you know, what somebody might do in one decade. (laughs) (laughs) You know, whereas you're doing multiples per year. So the fact that something did happen Mm -hmm. means, you know, but, you know, that similar kind of thing (laughs) didn't happen before. So the odds of it happening again in the next few years is probably pretty low. You know what I mean? Because... You know, and I, I don't as as a non-statistician, <laughs> but but, you know, they're, they're kind of uncommon. So if, if the uncommon thing happens, mm-hmm. it's probably not going to happen again anytime soon. So then you came home and then you went to um, Dominican. Yeah. And that was more relaxing. Yeah. I was going to climb the highest mountain in the Dominican Republic. But then when I got down there, I, I got sick with like a bronchitis thing. Yeah. And then I was like, nah, I'm just staying on the beach. Gotcha. <laughs> so <laughs> that was a bit of a hiking fail. But then I went back to Spain and um, 
I hiked in the south of Spain because it's January, so south of Spain is really where it's only pleasant to walk. Uh, and then there was this great deal. It was like $200 from Spain to Chile. And I, I didn't know where I was going to spend the winter. And I was like, okay, I'm booking that. It's 200 one way. Let's, let's just that go. That is ridiculously cheap. Yeah. How many hours of a flight is that? Oh, I don't twelve. Rem- I don't remember something like that. It wasn't that that 200 bad. Two hundred bucks for twelve hours. Flight. Yeah, it was a direct wow. flight. I can't even remember if I went from Madrid or Barcelona. And uh, I was really, really lucky because I did the O trek in Torres del Paine, and a lot of people make reservations six months in advance for the. Uh, camping permits but I was able to cobble together an itinerary uh, because there's a lot of just like these one person spots and most people go in pairs mm-hmm. or with yeah. friends and so I was able to do that nice. kind of bucket list hike there and what was that train like um it was it was varied sometimes it was a bit rocky but generally it's pretty pretty easy like stuff horses can do so yeah because yeah. i think the w track is the one that's yeah much the, more rugged yeah the the o circuit has the w track in it oh okay so the o circuit actually goes along the back side of the park so the o circuit is just makes it longer mm. so i did an eight day hike eight days gotcha. and i had no idea that you could buy beer every night <laughs> or and food every night that's what uh, it's so funny like because you think of Patagonia as a super rugged backcountry. No, it's not. It <laughs> it's is like, luxurious. It's the, because it's, it's commercial. Up. It's so commercialized. Yes. It's got the setting of that in the background. Oh, yeah. It's you know. gorgeous. <laughs> the glaciers, the uh, granite cut peaks, you know, top notch scenery, definitely. But unfortunately, I think some of the uh, luxury amenities are kind of ruining the feel of it. Yeah. And yeah. they're they're just going to build more and more <laughs> over time. Well, because if the if the people are coming and they're willing to spend money, yeah. Because like, quite honestly, like I like hmm. backcountry things, but if I'm doing a backcountry thing, and all of a sudden uh, take the AT huts like in New Hampshire, um, you know they're they're in the middle of the mountains. But I'm not so much of a purist that I won't stop in and buy a sandwich <laughs> and a hot coffee and warm up at the fireplace, you know. So if those things, like when I went through uh, the Great Smoky Mountain <clears throat> National Park, literally you can eat all three meals at restaurants. So the trails are rugged. But it's like lunch at a burger place with like a suburban family from Ohio. <laughs> And then you just keep hiking, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so so even the AT or yeah, um, like I, I think you run into the thing where where uh, the older the trail, the more of that there is. Right. Because the AT is the oldest. Um, the PCT has got less of that, mm-hmm. but there's still plenty of it because it goes through Yosemite and, you know, uh, different places. And there's still more culture growing around it. And then the CDT is going to have less of it. Right. Because it's the newest of the, the three. Yeah. Um, and the triple crown. In Chile, are you camping or are you staying in um, I'm hostels? I'm camping, uh, except when uh, I need to like travel, when I travel between parks, then I would usually spend a night in a hostel. Gotcha. On the uh, the O circuit and the W track, you can camp 
Or you can camp but not carry any camping gear and you can rent a tent that's already set up with sleeping bag and mat inside. Or you can stay in a dorm accommodation or in some of the places you can also get private rooms. And so there's people that just were basically going around with like a day pack because they they eat breakfast at the lodges, get a pack lunch, and they'd have like a like a wonderful d- dinner with silverware and Chilean wine and very fancy. Wow! I did buy one hamburger at one of the bars because I I was sick of eating instant mashed potatoes. But <laughs> I, I felt so dumb for carrying eight days worth of food when yeah. the, the prices weren't, they were higher than the stores normally, but they weren't outrageous, maybe like 25% higher. Yeah. And you could buy fresh eggs almost every stop. Like it was unbelievable. Yeah, like that's, it, it, it definitely does take away from that. Um, because part of the part of the thing you run into with, with a lot of wilderness treks is whatever that next like civilization is you know you gotta at least get there but when it when everything along the way it's like yeah you know like i would just be like such a lazy bitch you know oh i'll oh, no we'll stop here for, and and then oh we'll, we'll stop <laughs> and, and, then, oh. and then it's like you know your your eight day track takes three weeks <laughs> you know you don't it, you don't want to clean a pot well you know what it is though um when I'm backpacking, I subject to that I can camp anywhere. I, I much prefer to have something on my back than count on getting to the next stop. Just for whatever reason, yeah. if, you just want to enjoy the scenery. Like I like to take my time and take it all in, and rather than have to be rushed, knowing I have to be here at a certain time and the weather looks like it's shit, and I have nothing to protect me. Or now, when you go on those trips and when you are staying the inns, do you carry a tarp with you, or do you just have your raincoat? In terms of, you know, well, she had all her gear. With I her. had all, I had all my stuff because right. I was camping. There was just one night, I all the camps the camping was full, so I had to take one dorm bed, which really hurt my budget because it was 109 U.S. dollars. Oh wow! wow. <laughs> yeah, for this a dorm this, bed. This is for a dorm bed. So can you? And that's for one night. So can you imagine if you're doing it eight nights and then you're paying that plus yeah. your food? Yeah. Yeah, if it's you not weren't worth carrying it. your own. Yeah. That, well, that's it's, when the it's people a bucket from... list trip. Yeah, oh, for sure. Yeah. No, but when you were doing the El Camino, did you also have your tent on you? Um, or a tarp? I did. Well, I, I normally don't carry it if I'm just going to stay there. Yeah. But uh, in the autumn and when I went back in January, I had all my camping gear with me because I was going on to do trips with camping. And my stuff's so lightweight anyways, anyways. that I just like, whatever, I'll just carry yeah, your it. Your tent's like how many pounds? Like one? One pound. It's like, and what is it, compa- compact to? It's like that big. Yeah. So, so like the size of a football. Okay. So I don't, so it's, I don't it's care. Easy. And, and I use the NeoAir Uberlite mattress, which weighs eight ounces, and it is smaller than this can of beer gotcha. rolled up. So, yeah. so it's not a big deal. Yeah. And I, and, and I do like knowing that, hey, if there's bad weather or whatever, I can yeah. just set up a tent and I'm That's good. That's always, always almost been my security blanket. You know, as much as you have to, people look at you like, you have to carry all that. I'm like, yeah, but you know what? It's all here. <laughs> I can stop anywhere. I got food. Yeah. I got Even my... like when we're winter, um, you know, snowshoeing, camping, whatever. Yeah. It's all there. You don't have to worry. So. You know, and, that, and it, it is. It's such a funny thing how the world of civilized tourism and backcountry are rubbing up against each other in so many areas. Because you, you have, uh, <clears throat> you know, areas where you could just basically 
um, slack pack, like just take a day pack mm-hmm. and go from lodge to lodge or whatever. And then there's the people that are taking all their stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's the people that are day hiking to hotels and, you know, the, basically 50 years ago or 40 or 30 or whatever. If you weren't taking all your gear, you couldn't do it. Yes. Right? Yeah, it's more accessible. Yeah. Um, and then it becomes a thing of like finding those areas that are still a little more wild. Yeah. But have the infrastructure that you can still do it. You know, and it's kind of that balancing act. So what's been the most wild outdoor experience you've had? Was that the CDT? Uh, it's, different experiences have been wild for different reasons. But um, one interesting hike I did when I was in Argentina was the Humel Circuit. Humel Circuit isn't on any of the literature that the ranger office puts out because it's a very advanced difficult trip it's getting more and more popular now because it's appeared on blogs like most beautiful or most toughest most challenging hike in patagonia blah 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 but um so that one that one was really different for me because i had to rent a climbing harness and i'm not a climber i don't do climbing stuff because there is two trillion traverses over rivers that you have to do in the middle of the wilderness and you're by yourself you're by yourself. So, uh, make sure you screw that. <laughs> on, right? Well, the first one I got to, yeah, I'm, I'm looking and it was over this big river gorge and I'm like, oh, I don't like this. And I got up really early ahead of other people. I'm like, I'm just going to wait here for somebody else to come. And then this French, French family came along and they climb all the time and they're like, yeah, no problem. And so they helped me to make sure nice. I was insecure. Safe. But yeah. like the moment when I dropped on the line and I'd never felt that feeling before. Wait, wait you fell? No, no. I mean like you have oh, to that like you... you step, you, you know, you have to get off the rock because yeah. it's not a platform. You're in the wilderness. Gotcha. And then you're just like looking over and then I like, I'm attached, you know, okay. yeah, I'm attached. Yeah. This is weird. I've never felt this feeling before. Yeah, because okay. I'm pulling I, I, myself across. Oh, wow. Yeah, because you've never done a trolling no. traverse before. So think of it. There's a there's a line rigged yeah, yeah, yeah. across a river, a canyon, whatever. Yeah. And there's another one that you're using to. No, there's usually just the one. Yeah, okay. it's just one. And so cable. you you take you know basically you've got a harness on. Yeah. With like a tether. Yeah. You clip. Yeah. And now you just step up into space and yeah. then you use the line and pull yourself hand over hand. So you're hanging on your harness. Yeah. But because of the line, when you step off, it's going to sink down. Oh, okay. So you're naturally going to, it's like, bloop, gravity's going to take you. Yeah. But, but it also for the second, it's like, oh, is this going to hold me? <laughs> yes. I was, I was scared out of my mind. I thought I was going to tip it's, back out of the harness and go into the that would, That would be especially, that's almost, you know what that is. Have you ever, you've never indoor rock climbed? Never. I've never been okay, to a so climbing gym before. Most people, when they go indoor rock climbing, they get attached to an auto belay, which means they don't have to worry about anybody belaying them because most people, if they're new, don't know what they're doing, <laughs> right? But there's that moment where you have to jump off and fall and then it catches you. <laughs> so it probably felt something like yeah. that, <laughs> which sucks. Everybody hates it. Even, now, even if they've been doing it for years, I never like it. Whereas I always just like, jump off the rock i usually just think you know they must have good insurance yeah (laughs) (laughs) so that's usually the psychology the psychology well the thing is with something like that i my my thing is always (laughs) like with a trolling traverse that's rigged already yeah um is how long has this been up 
what kind of UV damage? <laughs> <You know? laughs> well, that's why, yeah, I would have done the same thing. I would have waited till somebody else comes to see if they made it across. <laughs> okay. Yeah, <laughs> you let a couple you? of like fat people go across <laughs> first. Okay, it holds. I'll go now. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, the second one, which is also over a river, uh, someone told me that a day or two before there was a guy who went on the traverse. He was by himself. And so he had his backpack also clipped in. And uh, he wasn't strong enough to pull himself to the other side because the line dips down and then you have to like pull kind of up. So you have to use your strength. He didn't have the strength and he was in the middle of like just hanging in the middle of the river. So he had to deploy his backpack and sacrifice it into the river with his passport, his money, all his stuff just oh, so wow. he could get across because otherwise he would have spent the night in the middle of the line and probably the way the stages are set up no one would have come by until they until uh, like mid-morning the next day yeah he didn't he didn't take and stop and think it through <laughs> maybe i'll get my money and my passport out and put it in my pocket well i don't know how you know. His, how he so, had attached yeah. his backpack maybe he had it on his back and he was trying to go but you know, that would have been dumb because it would have been like really tipping heavy. you over backwards yeah yeah oh wow so you had to cross that yeah. So and so, how was it in the end? Was it hard? Um, I I was freaking out. And the French company, <laughs> the French couples, there it was like a mom and dad, and then like a daughter and yeah, yeah. her boyfriend. They were just laughing at me. They thought it was the funniest thing ever because <laughs> I was struggling so much and I was so ungraceful. And like I don't look like the typical hiker. Like the other hikers that I saw doing this trek look like they run uh, Ironman triathlons for breakfast. You know, yeah, 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 <laughs> they're yeah. like super yeah, like yeah, yeah. into it. Yeah, yeah. But you did it. Yeah, I did it. And then uh, almost immediately afterwards, I had to uh, go down this moraine and navigate across a glacier where there's no trail, no route. Got lost on boulders and boulders were just sliding everywhere <laughs> and that was super oh, wow. sketchy yeah and i like in retrospect like i understand why the park office doesn't advertise this as a hike and they also dissuade anyone from going solo and a lot of people go with guides gotcha. most, most people go in guided groups and i was just by myself like just trying to figure out where to go on this glacier and not fall into a crevasse you've got guts where's that come from well, I was already on the hike, so I didn't, I didn't want to go. I didn't want to go back across that line the other way. So no, but you do like North Korea. You do Israel National Trail, like that in itself. Like you do a CDT on your own. You know that you hear other people going like, "Oh man, war stories," and you're like, "Yeah, I just did it." <laughs> you know, I, 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 everyone said it was so beautiful and challenging. I'm like, well, she's I'll like see. Alex Honnold. She doesn't have the, uh, <laughs> yeah. what is that? The, the, the fear gene the fear in the, gene in the amygdala. Firing. You know, the amygdala doesn't fire up. You know, but, but it's not. It, but I think no, sometimes. It's cool. I mean, it's, I'm in admiration. Well, and, and sometimes if you, you reach a point of doing enough stuff where you've got the ability to go, okay, well, I'll figure it out. And. When you're in unknown situations, like whether it's the trolling traverses or whatever, you keep your shit together enough to go, okay, well, I'll wait for people to come over and figure out, and I'll watch what they're doing. Yeah. Or, you know, I'll take it a little slower through these glaciers, you know, like if you, because glaciers are not a solo thing. <laughs> no. Right? Because the whole thing is that. You know, you're tethered to somebody else and, you know, with a rope, when it's a climbing rope that's got some stretch to it, 
And if somebody goes through, the other person can drive their ice axe into the ground and keep from, from plummeting to the bottom of the glacier. Right? So if you're glacier cl- crossing by yourself, um, you've got nobody to be your anchor. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, origi- I found out like kind of where to go where the trail goes because I saw a guided group coming the other direction and they all had helmets on and were tied together <laughs> and I'm like I'll just walk towards them that way because because the glacier is moving yeah. so there's no trail wow. people like what I had kind of marked on the <laughs> GPS did not exist anymore that's why I was wow. so perplexed and I was like ah and this was in Patagonia yeah it was in uh, Argentina near um, Fitzroy Okay. That area in Lost Glaciers Park. And Fitzroy is the Patagonia clothing logo. Got it. Yeah. And um, then later on, I did um, the Pass of the Wind. And everyone said it's so like sketchy and dangerous. And you actually have <laughs> to look at the wind forecast before you can set out on the track. Because the wind is unbelievable. It's the like the strongest winds recorded on Earth. Because the... Um, the Patagonian ice field is there and the wind just picks up as it goes across this ice field and then hits this mass of mountains and then just kind of flies <laughs> up. Uh, so I did this pass of the wind. It wasn't too bad. But then the next day I did this other pass and I thought that was another moment I thought I might die because it was really? so windy because um, I was on these ridges and I had to be so careful because the wind was picking me up like picking me off the ground, bashing me into boulders. Wow. And I was afraid the wind was going to push me over the side or I was going to slip and fall off the mountain. So I just went like, I kind of went into like a sumo wrestler squat mode Mm -hmm. and was trying to like just try and keep my weight down so I could just slowly inch my way through to get over the pass. And then Mm. once I crested the pass, it was like, okay, it, the wind w- had just died like a snap. I could not believe it. Yeah, it's it's funny how in the mountains, right? Like we've even experienced that sort of thing where you're out exposed and you drop down a little bit, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden, like the wind is gone, right? Because it, it's out in the open. Um, whether it's going over a pass or you're up on a ridge. Yeah, the most I've ever experienced it was in the Adirondacks on Haystack. At the most, I don't even think that's. No, near, it, it's near not anything. That's it's, it's just not windy. Blow, but but it, but it's <laughs> it's it, windy. But it's 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 powerful. I've never experienced a powerful one like that. But I know it's not anything near. <laughs> no, like it, it, the the other like one, the whites and yeah, the Washington. <laughs> I, I I lost some hearing and I had ringing in my ear from the wind hitting my ear on one side. Wow, it was that bad. Yeah. Did you regain your hearing since? Yeah, yeah. It, it was, was just, just like moment. really sore for a few days. Because you had and so much pressure. And yeah, wow. I, I, I had no idea the wind could be that brutal. I've had windy days on trail before, but never like that. And then, um, then the trail descends sharply down on damaged trail that's all loose dirt. I hate that. With shrubs, with <clears throat> pokey things. And so... Um, I I just had I went backwards and I just was trying to climb backwards yep. hanging on to bushes yep. to try and lower myself down That's and right. it was hours and hours of doing, doing that. that. Yeah. Yeah, I don't like cuz I know you that's exactly what you always say to me. 
you know, turn around, climb backwards. It's way safer. But I hate it. <laughs> well, listen, it's, 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 you know it's, what? And I really should do it where it's flat and just practice. I should, I should do that because whenever we go to the Adirondacks, um, yeah, I don't like it. Yeah, well, it, if it was rock, it would have been easier. But it was that that loose. Sandy oh, it's stuff. even worse. Yeah. yeah, rock and dirt and yeah, and it just slides. Yeah, because it doesn't with that kind of thing. It doesn't matter how strong you are. Mm-hmm. Right, it's it's almost how nimble you are because you're constantly having to readjust mm-hmm. because the ground's moving under your feet. Yeah. Uh, whereas with rock, that's right. It's it's just physical. Oh, right? I know. Because what you're putting your feet on is solid. Oh yeah. Um, but this is worse because you can slip. It's gravity, right? Yeah. So it's it, basically oh, you're grabbing roots at the side of the trail and constantly readjusting. Did you cry? I'd cry. No, I didn't do any crying. <laughs> I didn't do that, Pookie. Come on, Pookie. No, I, I, just, I just went really slow. <laughs> well, the, it's one of the things, it's almost the sign of being present. Like, what you're doing is the only thing that exists in the world. Of course it does. Right? <laughs> if you're crying, you know, if you if you have that emotional response, then then you're actually thinking about the past and the future. And, you know, you're not thinking about the moment you're in. <sighs> right? Because or or any strong emotion, because when you're when you're completely present with it, where where the whole world is just the ballet of what you're doing, um, it, it it's probably like type two fun because it's not enjoyable to no. do. No, <laughs> it makes for a good story later. <laughs> you know, but but it is the kind of thing when you're actually doing it, um, you don't have time, like you know. Or it's it maybe just a sign of experience. Like you don't freak out, you know, or or like you have no you, choice. Yeah, you know. But but the thing is, is that to me, like there is that you know when we say you have no choice, you just have to do it because it's what's there. You do see people that freak out and have tantrums and. <laughs> there, yeah. Um, on that hike, um, even going down towards the glacier, I heard there was a couple that turned back because they didn't like the way the boulders were sliding in the moraine and they're fearful. And then the second mm-hmm. the second day, I heard that people turned back also because of other things that happened. So this people is is uh, uh, a little intermission. Well, Catherine changes the battery in the GoPro. Uh, oh, yeah, we have to do that. I totally forgot. So it's really cool. Our friend Alyssa and uh, Eric... Um, although it's, I think, mostly Alyssa's idea. Uh, she came out with this product called the Wind Journal. And it's like a book mm-hmm. is that we, we know sort of writing down sort of your, like focusing on your, your gratitude and your successes um, actually helps rewire uh, sort of the way you think about the world. Um, so the idea with it is that basically they're going to have like the Wind Journal app, which they're working on, but they actually have this book and it's almost like a day timer or a planner, but it has places for you to track your wins, your successes in life, right? And it's such a brilliant idea because we've done a few episodes on mental health. And one of the biggest things that you run into that if, you, if you're aware of sort of the negatives, but you don't write them down, like you only write down, like you document the things that are successful it actually rewires your brain. And so, you know, they've got that product that is the Wind Journal. Yeah, so we'll have that in our show notes with a discount for 20% off, Live Well 20. 
Yeah. All right. Back to it's our a, show. Well, no. <laughs> no, but that's it's actually our first sponsor. I know it is. Yes. First sponsor. Yeah. yeah. Congratulations. Thank so you. next step is we're going to sell our um, content to Spotify for $100 million. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, see, it gives you an idea. Like, we're never going to be at that level, right? Yeah. You know, but it gives you an idea of like the power of podcasting, mm-hmm. right? Of like your voice in people's ear holes. <laughs> um, because when you, when you look like I started, you know, I'm not being like a hipster claiming early adoption, but like I started listening to podcasts in like 2009, 2010, purely by accident. Cause like I'm a Mac guy and you know, I got my music from iTunes, but I saw this little tab for podcast. What the fuck's a podcast? And you click and then you realize there's literally thousands of hours, whether it's comedians or people doing podcasts about shit I'm into. Like I can just like download unlimited amounts of entertainment for free <laughs> and take it with me. And so I've been a podcast guy ever since. So it's kind of cool that I do one now. Yeah. Uh, but, but like it is, it's such a, such a weird thing that now the most powerful guy in media is the fear factor guy. I hated Joe Rogan on that show did you ever watch it yeah yeah i've seen some episodes yeah yeah i didn't like it at all you know see it's one of those things i uh, i like him now yeah like uh, the, basically i'd seen rogan on fear fact or not fear factor but news radio the sitcom but i've never been really a big fan of sitcoms but it's like oh cool whatever i don't know you know you're sort of aware of them but then i'm also as somebody who you know judo and jujitsu um way back in 93 when the ufc came out and it was like, wait, there's a karate guy against a sumo. It was fucking Mortal Kombat, <laughs> right? Like that. As somebody who'd done martial arts, you yeah. know, and trained in it, and you know, it was one of those things where it's like, what's the, really the best martial art, right? And it was like just this barbaric, no holds barred kind of thing. It's not the sport that it is now. But Rogan was one of the announcer guys, or first mm-hmm. an interviewer, and then and you know the the commentator, right? And then you come across his podcast and it's like, all he's talking about is like weed and psychedelic trips and, <laughs> you know, um, lifting your kettlebells. And it was like, that guy's kind of interesting, <laughs> you know? So when you're on your tracks, uh, are you listening to podcasts? Um, How do you pass the time aside from hiking? Sometimes I listen to music, sometimes I listen to podcasts, but yeah. I, I wouldn't say I listen to it a lot okay. when I'm hiking. Yeah. Or is that, for me, it kind of drowns out my demons. Like if I just have something in my ears, like I don't have to deal with my thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> um, I like to use music as a tool for when I have to do something, an Hard. uncomfortable uphill then it helps motivate me. Gotcha. But also, I I don't like to use a lot of music because then I miss hearing wildlife. Got got it. Yeah, like I, I basically when it comes to music, I'm the same way. Um, it's only grinding up a mountain that I'll put the earbuds in and doom 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 doom. Yeah, you doom, need that beat. Doom, you know, or whatever. It is. <laughs> well, that's what I do for workouts. I put on some gangster hip hop. <laughs> yeah, it's way. like it's, I, it's so funny. Like it's the only way I don't even like hip hop. But, but but you know, black people saying the N word a lot gets Catherine <laughs> training harder. I don't know why it is. I don't know. Anyway, so so um, Antarctica, talk about that. 
Well, um, I went to an island at the very bottom of Chile, a place called um, uh, Puerto Williams is the town. It's the southernmost town in the entire world because there is a trek that was also called the most beautiful and most challenging trek in Patagonia. So I wanted to do it called the Dientes de Navarino. Uh, Dientes means teeth and it was Navarino Island. And so it kind of looks like Torres del Paine kind of like jagged rocky stuff but nobody walks it and people and it's a very short hiking window because they get a lot of snow and stuff and their summer is very short it's also difficult to get to you you either take a 36 hour ferry or you can fly there in an hour and I don't know how but I ended up getting the flight for for cheap like a hundred dollars so I thought well I'm not doing the 36 hour ferry (laughs) (laughs) and you did you originally plan this or is this a last minute thing it was all it was all last minute got it and so I went in the Facebook group because they said really don't go alone (laughs) and so I found two um Chilean guys that were solo and so we made a little triad of hikers and um we're gonna hike that so the day before I went on the hike, I thought, hey, I'm right across the bay from Ushuaia in Argentina, where all the Antarctica cruise ships live, leave from. And when I got to the island, I could see these cruise ships going up and down the Beagle Channel. And I'm thinking like forlornly, oh, they're on their way to Antarctica. That's so awesome. So the day before I left on that um, four or five day track, I just sent out emails to every single single Antarctica tourism company I could find on the internet like what's your best price what's your best price what's your best price so then I did this four or five day hike which was absolutely stunning and wonderful I came back and I had all these emails and I was thinking to myself okay if the price goes below 4,000 I'll do it um 4,000 American because the trip is normally 10,000 American oh wow and above and it's something that sometimes you have to book two years in advance for really because there's limited space on these ships <laughs> and then you know and then they prefer to get people that are willing to pay more for the same service and so the so a guy came back to me with a price of three thousand nine hundred and ninety dollars on a luxury like well not super luxury I'd say middle of the range ship but very luxurious ship that was also a learning voyage and was chock full of scientists all different kinds like glaciologists oh, wow. bird experts whale experts acoustic <laughs> experts National Geographic photographer oh a woman who's a professor at the Van- Vancouver School of Film doing videography workshops like all this stuff included um so I said okay I'll I'll book it even though it like it really hurts me because I'm on a very limited budget and then I booked a boat to take me across the Beagle Channel into Argentina into Ushuaia and um I did a day hike in Tierra del Fuego Park and then the next day I got on the cruise ship so it was very very last minute I booked two days before that ship left so the cruise was how long? It was, now I don't even remember, eight, like, uh, like 10 days, 10 okay. days, I think. Got it. And the only reason I was able to get that price that low was because Chinese nationals could not travel to, uh, to uh, Chile or Argentina because of COVID-19. And cruise ships couldn't accept them because it's some kind of weird mm-hmm. USA 
the way the ship is incorporated. So before I boarded the ship, they did a temperature check on everybody. They asked you, have you been in China or Hong Kong in this amount of time? And no, and clear. So I was able to go on the ship. Um, I was I was in the cheapest room possible, so it was a four person room, but there was only three of us inside. There was um, a gal f- who is Chinese, but she had been living and going to school in New York City, so she whoop, she was able to go on the trip, as well as a Japanese woman and then myself. And it was quite interesting because there was a lot of single like solo women travelers on the ship Hmm. a couple guys but majority were either couples or solo women so Mm -hmm. us solo women we became like a little gang yeah and um so it was nice to have friends to eat meals with and to go on the excursions with. So I'm, I'm sure some great conversations in the 10 days that you're on that boat. Yeah, on that yeah. ship. Yeah, because the first like two, three days is just crossing the Drake Passage, yeah. which is the most turbulent waters in the world. Oh, wow. And so the boat, my boat was a newer mm-hmm. boat. So it had really great stabilizers. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't bad uh, crossing, but on the way back, it was, it was kind of bad and I had to get a seasick patch because thing the, the boat was like rocking and rolling like wow. I, I I just like couldn't move I could just lay down or I was gonna throw up wow that's that's the thing that sucks about you know getting motion sickness yeah and you're stuck yeah have you been on a cruise before no it was my first time oh so would you ever do it again having experienced this yeah I think if I can survive the Drake passage because it was a small it was a small ship like yeah. there's only like uh, I think a hundred and I can't even remember like 140 passengers. Right. So very very small compared to like these mega ships that right. they have uh, elsewhere in the world. Got it. And so, but does that appeal to you? What was that experience like once you got there? Then what? You're not getting well, off. You're just touring through the area. Oh no, uh, they, no, they we have landings. Off. You do. She set foot on Antarctica. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the when you get into Antarctica, you usually have one landing in the morning and one in the afternoon. And what's great about a smaller <laughs> ship is uh, only a hundred people per ship can be on land at a time. So if you're in a bigger ship, then you Got either it. pick morning or afternoon. This way, everybody can go. Uh, we just had like one group do zodiac cruising and one group go on land and then we would swap. Got it. Uh, now there was, I think, three landings we couldn't do because of bad weather, but nothing's guaranteed in Antarctica. They don't even know where we're going exactly till we get down there because it all depends on weather conditions and the ice and yeah. and everything. Did you see any wildlife? Oh, yeah. Lots of um, seabirds, tons of whales, seals, thousands of penguins. Um, And I went to the Ukrainian research base as well and got to speak with some of the scientists there. Nice. Very, very cool. And I I thought it like, oh, I'm going to Antarctica. I'm just going to see some penguins. And then when I got got down there and I saw the glaciers and the icebergs and just walls of white with nothing around, no people, no infrastructure, I, I was in total amazement. I'd never seen anything like that in my life. It was it was just so incredibly beautiful. Well, because really, because, you know, it's cold as fuck. Uh, it was uh, actually quite warm well, when I yeah, went. But, but I mean, just generally. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, obviously you went in the summertime. Yeah. Um, but you run into the thing where where most of Antarctica is just ice. 
like it's not even land you know there's places that are that are land but like when they when you've seen the like the um infrared or whatever satellite photography of where the land is most of what they sort of have plotted as antarctica is ice (laughs) like right out you know um so short of like potentially oil drilling or something like that that you know yeah um there's not a lot to really outside of like the scientific community um you know it's not ever going to be populated no never you know yeah and that's like i think that's a beautiful thing like having an area Mm -hmm. on earth um that you know you can sort of maybe visit a little bit but it's it's kind of off limits to development yeah and I was very fortunate because I got to camp in Antarctica. So now I've camped on all seven climates. No, how did that happen? Yeah. So um, the camping spaces are limited. And normally when people book sometimes three years, four years in advance, they sign up for camping. So when I was on the ship, they said, okay, because of the Chinese passengers that had canceled or whatnot, <laughs> there's like six places. And so I went to the uh, camping briefing and there was like 40 people there. So they said, we're going to have a raffle. So everyone gets a number and then we're going to draw numbers out of a hat. And I was just sitting there like, please, please, please. And they drew my number yeah. and I just jumped up and yelled because I was so happy because it meant a lot to me. I'm sure, of course, it means a lot to other people, but it's something very special yeah. for me to um, kind of because I feel like I'm more connected to Antarctica if I'm not just visiting for the day. I'm there for the night. Right. What was that like? So um, and what were the temperatures like? Uh, I don't know how cold it was at night. It's hard to say uh, because it's it's hard for me to judge because I'm wearing like this big parka and all my gear when I get out there. And Do they supply the parka or is that yours? I rented a parka. Got it. Some people bring bring this stuff from home, and but I was it was all last yeah. minute, so yeah. I rented a parka from the ship. Um, so we, so they scouted out where we're going to be for the night and they took us out in a Zodiac and then the Zodiac left and there is like 30 something of us, I think on the land and, uh, they get, then they pass out shovels and then you had to kind of dig like your trench for the night. And so you're really, really hot because you're working hard digging the trench in the snow. Yeah. And then we had, um, a waterproof Gore-Tex bivy, and then they supplied uh, like an inner sleeping bag uh, that was synthetic, and then an outer sleeping bag that was also synthetic. And uh, so I had my sleeping bag with me, so I'm like, well, I'm not going to use their used inner synthetic. I'll use my nice down quilt inside, and that worked out well. So I dug this trench, and then I got into this Gore-Tex bivy that was kind of like a body bag, and then it started to snow. So I just kind of zipped myself pretty much totally in it (laughs) because it was snowing. And if I had left my face exposed, then I would have been covered in snow. Yeah. So I, I went to sleep and I remember waking up because there's penguins squawking and they're really, really annoying. But um, the way the ship had to be with positioning, we had to get up super early, like at four something in the morning. 
and then it was absolutely freezing because I had taken off my parka and I was just in my base layers to get dressed in the darkness mm-hmm. in Antarctica. You're so cold. And then you have to um, kind of reclaim where you slept for the night and push all the snow back in. Okay, yeah. And then jump in the Zodiac and then ride back like a kilometer or two to where the ship was positioned. So there's not like there was a campfire or anything like that. No, (laughs) no, there's no no food allowed on Antarctica. There's also no peeing allowed on Antarctica. Oh, really? How do you go all night? Are you wag bagging it or? They had like a porta potty. Mm. But when we go on excursions, like for the day and we're going to be on land, they tell everyone like, don't drink too much coffee. Don't drink too much. Because if someone has to go to the bathroom, then a member of the expedition crew has to drive them in the Zodiac back to the ship. What is the reason behind peeing? Just out of curiosity. Because you can't contaminate anything okay. antarctica is supposed to be totally pristine gotcha. so you don't want urine you're not allowed to have food at all when you're on land uh, you can have a bottle of water that's it gotcha yeah and there's nobody guarding you guys in case there's a polar bear coming by there is no polar bears there aren't no, that's, no they're only that's in the, the arctic, arctic, oh, I didn't know that. arctic yeah. pole the only the only thing on land you're going to run into is penguins oh well, you know. Yes. Yeah. I, yeah, I guess maybe some seals. Are they, are they aggressive seals, yeah. on the shore? Penguins? No, they're very curious. Yeah. They don't. They don't have a big fear of people. Yeah. They won't really run away from you. They just kind of ignore you and get about their yeah, go about yeah. their day. Wow. We're only warned about um, like seals. Don't yes. get too close to them. Yeah, because they don't want to fall in the water. Well, the seals can be very territorial as well. Yeah, and depending on what type of seal it is, it can get pretty goddamn big, too. <laughs> Don't roll over you. Yeah. When we were uh, Zodiac cruising, there was um, a very curious leopard seal. And leopard seals are are a little bit scary. Their heads kind of look like reptiles, like dinosaurs. And the, the, the woman who was piloting the Zodiac was like, watch your hands, watch your hands. Because it had happened before where a leopard seal had taken someone's finger off. Not wow. because they're hungry. They're probably just biting because they're curious. <clears throat> yeah. You know, it's when you don't have hands. Your mouth <laughs> is how you check things out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's wow. like sharks. Wow, that's a quite memorable memor- memorable trip. Yeah. 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 And now it really is that kind of thing of like, we all have to kind of recalibrate and figure out, okay, what's the rules? Businesses that open to the outdoors... Um, that can have like sort of, you know, safe practices, we're allowed to open this week. Mm-hmm. But malls can't open. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's it's that kind of thing of like the the things that we look for, like Catherine and I have been talking, it's like, well, over the summer and then in the fall, like it's hard to plan trips because you don't know what you're allowed to do. Yeah. You know, like we eventually want to do our, like our Southwest trip because it's sort of like a thing. Every year we go down to the Southwest. Like mm-hmm. it's, you know, kind of my favorite place in the world um but we don't know when we get to go mm-hmm. like the adirondack you know yeah. we're, we're we're looking at maybe uh she had the idea of doing uh the rock climbing road trip the red river gorge and then seneca like and that's in kentucky then seneca rocks and the new river gorge in west virginia and then maybe head up to delaware water gap you know in new jersey and then the gunks in <laughs> New York, like, you know, sort of this loop in the summer. If, but if, we, if we can do it. Yeah. 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 You know. What do you what do you think we can do around here? Or have you had in, have you thought about going? Can we go out east? 
No, there are, the Same post provinces are also shut down. So it's not just, so it's across Canada. It's not just yeah. You we're, we're pretty much locked in Ontario at the moment. Okay, north. What's up north? <laughs> well, um, I have been looking at doing like this combo of Lacloche Silhouette and Heaven's Gate and the Coastal Trail, uh, Pakatsawa. Yeah, I can't pronounce it either. But around uh, Lake it. Superior. So um, I had been looking at doing a two-week trip and trying to hit those those three Yeah, because for you, the Lakoshi drop off, knock off in three or four days. Yeah, I was I was looking at doing that in four days. Yeah. I know some people do like 10 days on it, but I, I don't understand with the kilometers how, how they're managing 10 days. <laughs> well, it, what, taking too much shit. <laughs> well, and I think, but what you run into, I think, with the Lakoshi because it's a, it's a roughly an 80k loop um is people who've never done any eastern american hiking think it's brutally rugged but if you've hiked in the adirondacks or the at mm-hmm. then you're like oh this is nice this is a fun trail right it's, it's easier than the at oh it's way easier like you know like a lot of the shit i've dragged you up in the dax mm-hmm. you'd find like doing the lacoste silhouette trail it's like you know there's little bits here and there where there's a bit of a climb but they're not you're never gaining thousands of feet of elevation right so even the hard parts aren't very long mm-hmm. and then it's like oh that was that was kind of neat and then you just keep going <laughs> right um, you know because even like the pig and the crack and like sort of like some of the landmark pieces of it you just don't have these big elevation gains. So even if it's a section that's, you know, a little bit more technically difficult, like a little bit more scrambly, it's like, it takes you 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. It's all about perspective. Yeah, yeah. Um, you Would know. You, do you have any other ideas about going north? That's, that's pretty much all that I know of. But you can't even do that now. You have to wait and see for when um, Parks Canada will allow mm-hmm. camping. It's so hard. Yeah. Possibly June 21st, unless they push it again. But the provincial parks are open, right? Or for just day like use for only. Day you can't only. camp at all. Yeah. And even uh, most of the Bruce Trail is closed right now mm-hmm. because it runs through private land. And so yeah. anything that's private, the Bruce Trail has just said, we're closing. You can't walk through. Mm. Yeah. So like the, the sections that go through Halton Conservation, yeah. because they've opened up for day use. Yeah. You can walk those, but you trying to link everything together. You can't yeah. do it. Got it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's, uh, it's one of those things. It's like, for me, it's nice that I'm back to work. And I think that's part of the reason why, why Catherine and I are talking about so much bicycle stuff. At least you can fucking ride a bike, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then it becomes, then when you're actually allowed to do stuff, if we've, if we've been doing a ton of riding and then you've got some pretty good riding shape. Like, I've been plotting out routes where literally we leave from here, you know, with all your camping gear on the bike, mm-hmm. and ride out, ride down, cross the border, maybe oh, go yeah? through, down through, uh, because once it, once you're south, like, maybe by bike, like, a couple hours south of Buffalo, and especially because we're not going to, we're not going to do, like, 219, like, the busy, you know, the way we would go for driving, we're going to use all the back roads, and there's some trails, um, and the kind of bikes we have will handle trails. Um, like, you know, basically pedal our way all the way down into northern Pennsylvania, you know, all on back trails. Uh, and, you know, occasionally we might have to use a road or a dirt road here and there. But, and this is one of the things I love about the states um, is that because it's populated top to bottom, you know, from Mexico to Canada, 
Um, but the big cities are kind of usually pretty spread out other than right along mm-hmm. the East Coast. What you have is like this network of dirt roads and trails everywhere that you could ride a bike on. Mm-hmm. Right? It's off the beaten track. Like some of that, like the back way up to uh, uh, Rock City State Forest or State Park or mm-hmm. State Forest. Right? Once you're out of Ellicottville, all those sh- cool little dirt roads and the all that you can do on a bike. Right? Like all the, you know, the kind of stuff where you're like, I don't know if my car is going to make it up here. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Yeah. You know? But you can ride a bike up that. Yeah. You know? And so that's sort of one of the things that we've got on the uh, the the burner, so to speak. Uh, yeah, yeah. There's also some great hiking trails in Quebec I'd love to do. Yeah. But yes. Closed once again. Yes. You know? But I, I, I get, the way I figure it's like... How did Katie get up to um, she's work, She's working. Because she's working... Yeah, I have some friends. You need to get a job. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. I have tourism or something. I don't know. Some friends, they live the winter in um, Florida and they live the summer in Alaska. And so they are allowed to cross over into Canada and drive to Alaska because they're going to be working there. And I'm really envious because that's, you know, even just the Canada part, that's an epic road trip. They'll get to hit a whole bunch of uh, parks along the way. Totally. But it's just because they're, they have, um, they'll be Alaska residents. Got it. So there are still people crossing the border and going different places. But for work. Yeah. Yeah. Work only at this point. Mm. That might be your ticket out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know what kind of job I would do. <laughs> I, I'd be like, okay, after one day I quit. I'm going hiking. Have you ever been to the Yukon? Yes. Yeah, I've done the, oh, um, the Chil- Chilkoot Trail. That's right. That's an amazing place. Did you ever go to uh, from Dawson City to Inuvik? I have been north of Dawson City, but only as far as Tombstone because I did some hiking in uh, Tombstone Park. Did you? Yeah. Okay. Not backpacking, just day hiking. Yeah. But but I had planned before I knew like going to the north was impossible. I was going to walk the Great Trail from Dawson City to Tuktoyaktuk. That's the, the farthest north, like above the Arctic Circle, like wow. where the road ends. You can't drive anymore. <laughs> And I was because I was doing all the research for it, and it's you can you can backpack it, but you need a cart because of the water sources mm. because the water has too many heavy minerals in it; it's undrinkable. Got it. So I was I was looking into like strollers that I could push, yeah, <laughs> where I could have gallons of water on hilarious. it. But but I uh, but I thought it would be just amazing to be in the Canadian Arctic and walking up there. Oh, and for sure, isolated. Yeah. Yeah, I went there in um, the summer to Inuvik. That was pretty neat. Your whole concept of a big city totally scales down. You know, it's like 1,600 people. You're like, wow, this is a big city, you know, because you've been in towns of <laughs> they 20. They have a gas station. Yeah, no, it was, was kind of neat. Um, do you have any, after having done the Antarct- Antarctica um, camping there the one night, do you have any desire to like do expeditions? In like the, in, in places in the far nobody's north, been. Like Baffin Island. Is it Baffin Island? Baffin Island, yeah. Yeah, places. Yeah, are... I, I would I would love to. It's just logistically so difficult to put right. together. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the trick is, is you need, like, I think, because we were talking to Jim Baird about his Baffin Island trip. Right. And the, the, I think he, the way he sort of pulls that off is he's already got a deal um, to write for a magazine about it. Mm-hmm. 
He's got sponsors for it. You know, it's it's kind of like you've got to take and turn your trekking into a business. Yeah. That you've got sponsors and you're creating media, whether it's videos and, and writing articles. And it's kind of the only way. Yeah. Short of, you know, being independently wealthy. Uh, you know, having bought some Amazon stocks 20 years ago. <laughs> oh, did he? No, I'm saying oh. <laughs> short of that. Oh, got it. Okay. You know, yeah. uh, basically you run into the thing where you've, you've, there's kind of this stuff that you can self-fund and then there's that level, uh, you know, even if, if you look at sort of the, the, the big expeditions back in the day, mm-hmm. right? It was the... Yeah. Royal Geographical Society sponsored, you know, whether it's Darwin or, you know, all of this kind of like exploration, there was always like a patron who, you know, or or big organization behind it. Um, And, you know, now fundamentally, that generally means some sort of media, yeah, right? Where, um, you know, you've got some sort of corporate sponsor that has decided that the cool adventure you're doing and the and the way that you can promote it will sell more shit for them, you know? If you succeed. Well, a lot of times it's not even that you succeed. Like, I think nowadays they're, they're smart enough. It's because they're, they're not always picking the best expedition people. Mm-hmm. They're picking the best storytellers, right? Or, or compelling mm-hmm. figures. Because um, if you look at like some of the the adventure people mm-hmm. who are the biggest on whether it's YouTube or um, you know various sort of social media, they're not the best at it, but they're the best at promoting. True. You know, um, like the, they've got the thing that they're likable. Um, you know, if you look at somebody like Alex Honnold, mm-hmm. right? You know, on the climbing side of it. Um, he's not the best climber. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, arguably he's the best big wall climber without a rope. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a class of one. <laughs> he's also the worst. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, unless somebody else has tried it and died, then yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, but but you run into that thing where where uh, he's just an interesting character. Yeah. Right. Um, and not to say the people who are the best aren't making a living at it too. Yeah. You know. But the, you know, from the standpoint of he probably gets paid a little better than Adam Andra does, Mm -hmm. you know, as far as, you know, when you look at their tax return at the end of the year, Adam Andra is arguably the strongest climber in the world. Um, But you probably heard of Alex Honnold. Oh, yeah, of course. Adam Andra, you probably have never heard of. I'm not a climber. That's what I mean. (laughs) But that's, Honnold's the only one that's broken through. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um. And that and that's kind of the interesting thing. Like, if you can create a, uh, you know, obviously a connection to an audience that 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 is, you know, you've got a market or like a like a viewership, then that's the kind of thing you can leverage into those sponsorships that let you, um, you know, take it to another level. Because we were talking um, to Mark Sinat mm-hmm. when he was in Kitchener. Mm-hmm. Um, he's like a. A rock climber, but he's like a National Geographic writer, and uh, yeah, like it, it, it was a thing. He did a big wall climb in in Tibet or Nepal, and from the top of the climb, he could see this valley that nobody's ever been to. 
you know, it's like there are still those kinds of places left on Earth, you know, which is kind of cool. Um, and uh, uh, I don't really have any interest in, <laughs> you know, trying to go after any of those. But, but the fact that that kind of stuff still exists, you know, there's still those areas that are still wild. Um, I think it's kind of cool. Yeah. You know, until somebody goes and explores them. Well, it's it's interesting because I was I've been kind of planning my cross European kind of uh, track, and so I'm trying to research how to make certain connections through different mountain systems mm-hmm. and countries, and I'm going to all these websites that aren't in English, like for like Kosovo and tr- trying to translate and figure out like oh, wow. how these is there can I cross on the border here? What's the reason? And so I, I find that's like the new kind of expedition mm-hmm. trying to like navigate what is existing because yeah. so much of the world has been discovered but it's just not really known or put together in a continuous hike yeah well and that that's sort of that that thing that i think is kind of cool that there's uh there's still un undone things because this has been done that's been done that's been done but nobody's done it together um and you know, or or you might have an area that, uh, you know, roads and things or trails got cut for mining or for, uh, you know, some other kind of like Something commercial use. that no longer exists. Yeah, but it's never been put through, like all put together as a track. Um, you know, but that um, access is there for some other reason. Um and that's kind of an interesting thing you can run into too, like putting those pieces together. Mm-hmm. You know, like think about somebody trekking. Now, of course, you can't considering where it goes, but but somebody trekking the Silk Road uh, from China to Europe. Um, People do it on foot. Yeah, they push carts. Yeah, <laughs> you know. And but it's that kind of thing where where now the challenge is a little different because you know some of the countries it goes through yeah aren't hospitable <laughs> like the the people who want to pilgrims to um, Jerusalem they can't get through Syria yeah you know and it's I complicated think, yeah and it, it it's those sort of socioeconomic things like political things that. Um, it's not a mountain range that stops you from getting through or the weather. Mm, it's COVID-19. Yeah. You know. <laughs> so how are you handling being back here? Because just the idea of, we hear it about all the time, right? There's a post-tracking um, depression. Like you come back. So at, at, at first I thought um, like I was only going to be home for a week and then I was going to be in America for six months. And then um, when COVID-19 happened, I, I, at first I was a little bit relieved. I'm like, oh, I get to relax a bit. And, but then I had no idea it was going to be going on this long. Mm-hmm. So then I started feeling kind of bad. And then I got COVID-19 and then I was happy I was home. <laughs> but then after I recovered from, from COVID-19, then yeah, then I was starting to feel a little bad. Yeah. But um, I'm feeling better now that the weather's improved and so i can really enjoy day hiking in the waterloo wellington region yeah so just 
Yeah, because you you weren't allowed to go on really hiking trails before, and now with the good yeah. weather, thank goodness. They yeah. So any of those up. ones we went on, it was after um, the. Uh, band was <laughs> hey, there were no signs on the web. There was no notice on the websites, or at the locations. Yeah, there was no sign at the trail. Yeah. How are we supposed to know? Exactly. We don't watch the news. But I think fundamentally, those of us who kind of do these adventure trips might be the ones who are best equipped to handle uncertainty because it's what we, you know, you just go into, you know, a trip of like, okay, I'm going to get there and then I'm going to, you know, you've got a rough itinerary, but it's not like you've got everything booked and because you just sort of play it by ear. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I didn't have to cancel anything that I had booked. So that was a big relief. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Um, really obviously, we have to cancel trip. But you like think there'd be but... deals now? Like, I was actually on the internet looking at, I was just curious, you know, are there any deals up north for Airbnbs? No, not really. No. You know, not noticeably big deal. When, when COVID-19 first hit, there was a lot of airline deals, a lot. And now the airlines are like, we can't run our regular routes. And so now there's no more deals. Yeah, yeah. like their thing is going to be... Um, gonna have to jack up prices just not to go broke. <laughs> well, they're th- what Air Canada is offering right now is basically you book now and you can cancel at any time, and you will get a voucher or you can get put it towards points. You can't get your money back, but you can certainly cancel up until the last minute for any reason. You know, yeah, and that's what they're offering. Uh, now I'm uh, now I'm considering going to Japan because Japan has just announced something like $17 billion toward to restart their tourism industry. And so they've announced that they're going to pay half the cost of international travelers at an undetermined time to come visit them. Oh, wow. So yeah. half your airfare, uh, per, half your hotel. I don't know exactly how it's Seriously? going to work. Yeah, seven, it's something like $17 billion. Like so it's wh- insane. We should go to Japan. Pardon? We should go to Japan. Go to the countryside. Where we could be like gaijins. Yeah. Because that, that means like outsider or something. Because they had expected 40 million tourists because of the Olympics. And oh, yeah. They're, they're, they're extra screwed. They spent <laughs> all the money to get the Olympics ready. Yeah. With the hopes of. And, you know, so you're expecting that, that big Olympic money coming in. Um, yeah. And then so what you have is the canceling of the Olympics and canceling of all your normal tourism. So like a double fuck you, Japan. <laughs> when are they? Are there flights going there now? Um, they, uh, Air Canada in July is going to fly from Vancouver to Tokyo. So hey, if they do it, then you could get a you could do a connecting flight, switch planes to Vancouver, and perhaps get over to Tokyo. So we'll see if that if that tourism initiative go through, then that's a steal of a deal because Japan is so pricey. Let us know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've just been to Tokyo, but there's some hiking I would like to do. Mount Fuji, and there are some long distance. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't really want to stay in Tokyo. I just want to get out, see the countryside. Personally, gotta watch out for the ninjas. <laughs> 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 well, stay tuned. There yeah. you go. Yeah, Sarah, thank you so much for hanging out with us again and telling us your stories. And Any, what's been going on? Anytime you guys have beer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the prerequisite. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Free beer. <sighs> well, so everybody listening, um, maybe when this comes out, you'll you'll be able to travel. 
hopefully, because, you know, we record them before we put them out. That's the way time works. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I uh, hope that we get to travel, you get to travel, you people listening get to, get to travel and go on adventures. Um, obviously, we want to adventure in your home mm-hmm. when you can, you know, whatever. Yeah. But I've fucking done everything around here. <laughs> but in the meantime, check out Sarah's YouTube. She's yeah. got tons of videos there about some of the past trips. Like a thousand million jillion of them? Yes. And how else can they follow you? Um, Instagram. Instagram. YouTube number one. So you don't miss a video. Yeah. <laughs> there subscribe. You go. Yeah. There you got to like, comment, and subscribe. <laughs> and hit yeah. that notification <laughs> bell. I know how this shit works. <laughs> <laughs> and remember, uh, go to thewindjournal.com. What is the promo code? Live Wild 20. Twenty for 20% off your wind journal. And the idea behind this is um, a mental rewiring tool. So you're cataloging all of your wins in life. And you actually start seeing that you're not as shitty as you think you are. <laughs> <laughs> Which I know sort of sounds funny, but it's true. It's true. If, if, you, if you actually document your successes, your wins... You actually start seeing that oh, and and it gives you gives you a, a dopamine kick. It's kind of like heroin. <laughs> so I don't I don't know if that's a kind of uh, promotion that uh, Alyssa and Eric were after, but uh, um, you can't argue with science. Yeah. So uh, until next time, work hard, play dirty. Bye. See you later. <laughs>